Thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. We ask that you bless our time in it. Keep us encouraged by it. In your son's name, amen. Last week we were in John 9. And the great thing about John is everything seems so meaningful that you read the next passage and the next passage and the preceding passage and, and you realize, why shouldn't I talk about John 10? It's been a number of years, I think at least four years since I was in John 10. Now it's a popular passage because it's the parable of the um, Good Shepherd. And that sort of is etched indelibly in my mind because College Avenue Baptist Church in Annapolis, Maryland had this huge Good Shepherd window that as I was ignoring the sermon, I would look at the window and count the sheep and look at the various things. It was just a very, it was a very nice window. It wasn't the, you know, this slightly effeminate Jesus. It wasn't a really masculine Jesus, but it wasn't, this wasn't effeminate. And then I think Doug and I then spent our time figuring out how we could get across the church without touching the floor on the rafters and beams, because the sermons were never worth paying attention to. That's not that way here. That's why we don't have any stained glass. So you know the story, you know the Good Shepherd. You know that, that and we focus naturally because Christ brings this parable or allegory up and uh, uh, it's touching the good shepherd and if you can you know, probably all seen the picture Christ with a ba lamb because that's what you call it when it's a little lost lamb, a ba lamb in his arms carrying it on his way and we naturally and rightfully look at Christ in these situations who he is, and his whole thing is, not the whole thing, a big part of what he is, is who he is in the parable. He's a number of things. I don't know if you remember this, but he's not just the good shepherd. Now, I want you to remember where you are. Remember how last week when we went into John 9, we had, they had just been trying to kill him in John 8. Okay, The Jews that believed in him by the time he was done talking to him, tried to kill him. He is escaping from them at the end of, so they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. As he passed by, we step into the story of the man born blind. So we get to the end of chapter 9, where this whole encounter with the man born blind is finishing up. And the Jews are not liking the way this conversation is going any more than the next, the, the previous one. And he's talking about how he's going to make those that see blind, and they say at the end of chapter 9, some of the Pharisees near him heard this, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains Verse 1 of chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the conversation he's in. He is talking to people that he has come into the world with this judgment, that the blind would be given sight and those that see would be made blind. 
Now, that's one of those difficult remarks by Jesus Christ. We're fine with him making the blind see because that suits our philanthropy and altruism and loving kindness to blind people. And that's why, you know, whether it's Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder, you want to give them a Grammy because they're blind. And they also play piano. There's a certain quality to blindness that's like the poor, right? The poor are universally acknowledged to being holy without, you know, anything other than poverty. The blind, you almost can't, can't be unholy because they're blind for heaven's sake. So Jesus came into the world to give sight to the blind, and if we had stopped there, we would have been fine. But then he says, and I'm going to make everybody who can see blind. When they claimed we see, their guilt remained. When they claimed that they didn't have a problem, he says, now you, you have a problem. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is our first verse. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. Now remember, he hasn't been talking about sheep, sheepfolds, shepherds. He's been talking about blindness, light. This is, this is a left turn with no blinkers. You know, it's just, he's off on some tangent. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And the Jews are going, what? Next verse. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They're not only blind, they're deaf. They, they don't not remember you haven't heard 2,000 years of Christians making stained glass windows and preaching sermons on the Good Shepherd. You just got told a little bit of agribusiness about how sheepfolds work. You know, the sheep, they... They follow the guy that owns them because they know him. There are robbers who sneak in, but not them. He just, and the guys are going, you know, we're supposed to be talking theology, aren't we? Wasn't it supposed to be theology? Wasn't it about light and, and blindness? So Jesus again said to them, this conversation continues, truly, truly, I say to you, in case you were wondering, I am the door of the sheep. Now this is the problem with allegories that you would make, or John Bunyan would make, or C.S. Lewis would make, where everything has its own meaning and nothing more than its own meaning. You, when you're dealing with Vanity Fair or Christian or Faithful or whoever in the story, they, they, they represent a certain thing. Not with Jesus, not with his allegories. I am the door of the sheep. And if you haven't read your Bible, you're going, I thought he was the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. Now, stop and remind yourself, at the end of chapter 9, he is 
let you know that he's here to blind people and give sight to people. So watch how you behave with what he says. Because if you're going, I just don't like, this is too confusing, I don't think this makes sense. Well, move along then. Buddhism is real popular in some places. Hinduism. Other religions are out there. They don't work, but they, they're out there. If you don't understand Jesus, if you don't follow him, so you have to watch. What I want you to think about is not who Christ is pointing this at. False messiahs and himself as the true messiah. False teachers, thieves, robbers, etc. But I want you to be thinking as sheep, what does it have to do with us? I mean, what are we, what are we, what are we representing? Because we know these qualities of Christ in the parable, I am the door and he's also the good shepherd, how I deal with the door and how I deal with the shepherd means whether I defines whether or not I am one of his sheep. Because you've got no control over the false messiahs and you've got no control over the true messiah. You only have control over you. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, You've all heard those verses. Maybe you saw them on billboards someplace. We know how powerful they are in their own right, almost poetically um, have this latent uh, intensity to them. But stop and think, because your response to what Christ says is going to be a matter of some moment to you regarding this illustration. Because the false teachers, and I don't think this is about necessarily every pastor is going to be assessed this way. This had to do with claimants to messiahship. Because when he says, everybody who came before me are thieves and robbers, you go, well, what about John the Baptist? What about Jeremiah? Everybody who came before me is a thief and a robber. He's dealing with the world. If you read Josephus or anything in the first century, you're finding out how many messiahs they keep showing up because everyone was expecting them. So I think he's talking about messiahs. And if you, if you have elements of application to other teachers, people who claim to have a special leadership role to the people who are the sheep, some of them are thieves and robbers, and one of them is the door, and one of them is the good shepherd. Now, why do people like being messiahs? Two different rewards here. You see it in uh, uh, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I lay down my life for them. So on one hand, 
False messiahs are in the business of taking from you. You have something they want. And the true messiah is something you want, a gift to you at the price, at a, at a huge price. Now, this is, I know you probably have more information than you want to know, but you are autonomous agents. <coughs> one of the wonder, wonders of creation that God made agents, sentient agents, who were wholly other. That you function by your brain, your ideas, your assessment of the world around you. And each one of us, each one of us wants to um, have that work. Have the, well, when somebody is uh, crippled and has to be pushed around in a wheelchair like my dad, there is a loss of the extension of their selves. Their autonomy is limited. If you could not control your hand to write, you would have an autonomy that was limited. You couldn't express yourself. If, if when Dave's voice went out, suddenly you were aware of how much a voice mattered. We know that this autonomy, this expression of ourselves, this acknowledgement of this need to acknowledge who we are, starts to expand and we realize that controlling others gains something for you whether it's politically or spiritually or economically if you can write a ad campaign that will make everybody run out and buy another coke you'll be a wealthy person because coke will love that to the degree you can control others Take from them what you want. Take a measure of their autonomy. Bring them under you. Have your, just like I control my fingers, wouldn't it be sweet if I could control all your minds? I mean, that's what cults do, right? That's what power-driven um, uh, uh, messiahs do. They come to steal your life. They're not there to build your life. They're there to consume your life. Desert you. You're not that important. You're not, the, you're not the essential self that matters to the false, to the thief, to the robber. They are the essential self. You are just something that proves something about them. How many people? How devoted? How much money? Every metric of how things get measured. And Jesus Christ came that they may have life. Not just life, but abundant life. Now remember, we're not just measuring the false messiahs and the true messiah. We're not just measuring, uh, uh, measuring them. We're, we're, uh, we're measuring us. Because we're the target audience, right? Not everybody's a sheep, you might say. Everybody's, everybody's sheep. Not everyone is the Lord's sheep. The Lord's sheep are defined by those that hear his voice. He lays down his life for the sheep. 
And your resulting circumstance needs to be abundant life, because that's what he gave you. Just if you're, if you're not following the robber, getting, having your life destroyed, you're following Jesus Christ, what he brought to you is abundant life. Through the laying down of his life for the sheep. There are all sorts. He goes into this bit about the separate category. Now there's the thief. There's the... There is the... Um, um, the good shepherd. And there's the hireling. Next verse 12. He who, who is a hireling, just hired on hand, who is caring for the sheep. This might, might apply to pastors. And not a shepherd... Whose own sheep are not, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. There's some kind of relationship between you as the sheep and you with, with your God in Christ, the Good Shepherd. A hireling is really no replacement. Don't let your attachment to a pastor of any kind famous writer, whatever it is. Don't, one of the reasons we we don't follow anybody to that degree did, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, that's even an apostle. Were you baptized in the name of C.S. Lewis? We're essentially just hired hands who are standing aside, if, if, if we were to be treated, if pastors were to be treated like the Messiah, like, are you supposed to believe everything I say? <clears throat> Push comes to shove, your life's in danger. Do I go, oh, excuse me, honey, i got to go down and die for, which one of you is in danger of dying at the hands of the feds? Probably Olivia. Um, she broke some aviation rule. They're going to put her to death, and I've got to tell the wife, I'm going to go die for Olivia. Nah. Oh. As much as I care, not that much. We are, in a way, Christ's members, when he talks about that in Ephesians. We are members of Christ, and no man fails to care for his own body. The false teacher wants to make you his in a different way not in sacrifice, not in gift but in taking they want control over what you do but not the same way not for the same good so what kind of person do you hear I mean this is something I want you to ask yourself do you listen to the shepherd how much time do you spend, not because quiet time is important, because quiet time is not important, for heaven's sake. Jesus Christ is important. And if Jesus Christ is important, remember, you don't get to see his miracles because you're not alive 2,000 years ago. So his words are manifestly important. Who do you listen to? Who do you hear? He's been hanging out rendered out by his disciples in this book for quite a while now, you need to ask yourself, who do you listen to? 
I have to ask myself, do I read Jesus more than I read C.S. Lewis? Or whatever else you might be your favorite um, higher level. Or do you actually fall for thieves, robbers? The person who would destroy you. I, I mentioned before, I, 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 I was I'm fogged how I could look at something on TV, flipping through the channels, because I'm not looking for this, where you run across some mega ministry out of some situation and there's 10,000 people in a room with notebooks open on a lap with nonsense coming out of the pulpit and everybody's standing there, sitting there, wrapped, quiet, writing things down. Destroyers of their souls. People who want to use them financially, morally, also just in the terms of their sense of power and entitlement. They want that. The question is, just don't think that the average guy in the pew is an innocent. He is a sheep who has decided that his ear is attuned to a false teacher. He understands the voice of a bad man. He falls, you know, you, you beat the girl, you know, some girl, you know, who's a drama, bit of a drama, and listens to, always has a bad boyfriend, just always has a bad boyfriend. You've, you've all known them. You go, what's wrong with you? Oh, I don't know, he loves me. <coughs> You're an idiot. But... The idiocy is not just, oh, I got a few screws loose and I can't think well. She believes that what he wants to offer is what she wants to get. Whatever, however wrong she is, what he wants to offer, she wants to get. She is a, she's a fool for that message. And when people believe that the hireling will always stick by them, or the thief will always stick by them, they don't know they're being used to be destroyed, to be killed. You have to ask yourself, what is my ear like? Who am I listening to? When it says, they will heed it says, start back in verse uh, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Okay, just in case you are wondering what the nature of the relationship was that I'm representing as being the Christian relationship. You have got to figure out that you listen to Jesus Christ. Two, at the level the Trinity is joined. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me. That level. So, check your theology. Go back and look at your Trinitarian view. How close are Christ? What in substance? Or who? Whatever you want to define it as. you got to be that big. So much so that membership into one is, being, is what is being represented. You're belonging to Christ, like Christ in the church is marriage. Your representative of that oneness is like the Trinity itself. Because I want you to decide whether or not you sheep, because we're all that, hear when he speaks. When he walks, did we walk through the same door unto salvation? Did we hear the same shepherd 
And I lay down my life for the sheep, verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. I, I have heard, I, I had a girlfriend once, not my wife. She was the pastor's daughter of the church we attended in Ann Arbor. Her name was Charlene Johnson. She's now a Buddhist. And you could see the trajectory. She always believed and told me so that one of these days she would argue with God and win. Okay. He said, Evan, I always thought you were conceited. But that girlfriend of yours, she had to be arguing with God and winning. Do, they heed, do you heed his voice? She was in no, in no circumstance to listen to his voice. I was talking to a non-believer um, earlier this week who is really angry about the things God says. I'm not quite sure if they believe in God, but still really angry about the things he said because this person doesn't like the things God says. They do not want to heed his voice. When he says to do something and to think something, you go, yes, sir. You will find the way. The wise man will know the time and the way. Is his guidance absolute to you? Or do you have that sort of American sense of freedom about, well, I'm a master of my own fate, the captain of my soul, that awful, awful, awful poem, on two counts. It is an awful poem. This is Invictus, in case you don't. And two, it's an awful sentiment. You know, just, just, it's just awful. Look it up, read it, you'll come back at least agreeing about the quality of the poetry. Well, what are we dealing with here? Christ makes an aside here in verse 18. <coughs> Sorry, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. There's a certain... I, I want you as students of Jesus Christ to know... Christ as he sees Christ, Christ as, as he represents himself. The church has not always been faithful. Flannograph is not an epistemic source. Bible stories, arch books, what's that other one that the young people dealt with? Veggie tales. They are not actually true. They're partly true. But sometimes people develop a whole Christian viewpoint and then finally read their Bible and go, I can't accept a God like this. C.S. Lewis got to that point with his reflections on the Psalms. He had developed a view of God where the God of the Psalms he couldn't accept. Jesus Christ, <coughs> since we're talking about him being a ransom, being a substitution, being a, a, a propitiation, all the theological words about his death, all of which can apply. 
When he says things like this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my father. It's much more of the Christus Victor um, approach to the atonement, rather than what's it called, penal substitutionary atonement. Um, elements that you can like in both of those, a lot of Bible study, but Christ, you want to be following Christ's view as you hear him say things that he lays his life down. He's not grabbed, arrested by God and said, you're going to pay for the sins of other people. He says, I'm going to lay down my life. I am going to resurrect my life. There's much more victory in the death of Christ. Now, you're the sheep of Jesus. Something like that. I just put it in bold here. Meditate on it. He is your Lord. He is your shepherd. He is leading you out to find good pasture. To find life eternal. To find living abundantly. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. It's almost the same as back in chapter 9 with the where they uh, comment on that. Uh, let's see. Back in 9, verse 16, there was division among them. So they again said to the blind man, there was, this is what someone like Jesus Christ brings. When he says, I have not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. One, your eyes start shifting back and forth and you're wondering, what kind of Jesus have I run into here? But every situation he brings himself into, he says something and his judgment is that you who were blind would be given sight and the rejoicing, like the blind man in chapter 9, you're just overwhelmed with the confidence of now seeing. Or you're a person who's just going to become blind having thought you saw He's making a judgment. And there was again a division, verse 19, among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. And he is mad. Why listen to him? Remember, they're, they're deaf. They don't hear the voice of Jesus Christ. So they've got to put it in a category. What kind of category do you put Jesus Christ in? Have you ever talked to an agnostic or an atheist who, who wants to, and not dealing with it in the Lord liar lunatic sort of uh, uh, trilemma that they that apologists bring up, but just looking at them like, do you know what he said? Do you have any idea what this teacher said? And do you have any? I can understand you not liking it. I can understand you not agreeing with it. Many didn't. Some people said, well, it's demon-possessed and crazy, and we're not listening. The end result is we're not listening. Christians go, God of my religion, we're not listening. We don't pay attention. Do I listen to Christ? Have we listened at all 
Some of them said, these are not the sayings of one who has a demon. This doesn't sound like demon stuff. This sounds like smarter than our pay grade. This sounds like it's really deep. I, I keep saying it to you well, years ago, I was talking to Jake Sandmeyer, and, and he said, you know, if the Bible is not the word of God, it is the greatest thing ever written. Those are your choices. Word of God, greatest thing ever written. You don't have a choice. You've got you to bow down to it, either as the greatest piece of ethical philosophy and history uh, in history, remarkable for that thing, or it's the Word of God. But you better be reading it, and you better be listening to it. These are not the sayings of a demon. What do you think when you hear Christ? Now you know more. You're not just a guy on the street going, I don't know about Jesus. He's, he's saying strange things. And are you one of those who says, I don't think that's demon talk. You're already a Christian. You're already someone who has given faith in Christ a, a, a front seat in your life. Do you look at what he says that these are not the sayings of what people say he is? This is the saying of God himself. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Is the power that is evident in this. We look at what he says, we look at how our ear is reacting. Our ear, we were talking, uh, we had uh, good subjects at the house this last week on Wednesday and we were talking about um, quotations of extra-biblical things in the Bible. And uh, we ended up talking about apocryphal or pseudepigraphal works and how your ear hears reading, you're reading through Tobit or Judith, you go, <coughs> fun story, ain't Bible. Even though it's worded like the King James. Still, I mean, that's what, that's what the Book of Mormon thought they were going to do. We'll write it just like the King James, and we'll even steal some verses. They'll never know. Any Christian, anybody. I mean, it's such an obvious circumstance. This is not real. It does not have the mind of the shepherd. We have to actually believe that our ear is attuned. Are you attuned to Jesus Christ? It was the Feast of the Dedication of Jerusalem. Feast of the this gives you some sense of the time frame. Back in chapter 7, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, I think. Yeah, which was in September, October. Feast of Dedication is in December, it's Hanukkah. Okay? Feast of Dedication, because at Hanukkah, the, the Jews had taken the temple back from the Greeks and rededicated the temple. And that was where the eight-day celebration that you see around America came from. Jesus Christ is in the temple. I always like this image because it says <clears throat> it was winter, which I assume means it's rainy. And I can imagine Jesus Christ was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And you never, the flannel graph never communicated this. You're walking in the portico because there's a roof on the portico. It's winter. It's probably downpour. And Jesus probably all wrapped up with, you know, sweatshirts and stuff. Talking to his disciples in the porticos. 
with rain in the background. Just never think of it, right? It's always dusty and sunny, right, in Palestine. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, which is the east, eastern portico. Uh, royal portico is the, there's a southern one and an eastern one. So the Jews gathered together, around, gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Right? We want to hear. Just, just tell us for heaven's sake. That's all we need is for you to tell us. He thought he had. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. I told you, and you do not believe. Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth, and it says in Romans, his infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. We talked of this verse last night in the library. Um, God's told people. He's told people and they're without excuse because he's told people. Not only that, Jesus had already told them. And they had tried to kill him because he had told them. And they're saying, tell us again. Work another miracle. Prove it by a better argument. Open the heavens. Write your name in the sky. Nothing works for people whose ear is not tuned to Jesus Christ. It's not tuned to the things of God. I, I, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. They're sheep, but they don't belong to Christ. Of course they don't recognize his voice. We were talking about evangelism last night, and how many people, I don't know what the percentages are, but there are people who don't want to hear, don't want to see. And you could try to retool your evangelism to reach people who won't be reached, rather than being led to the ripe harvest, being led to the people who do want to know God. Even if they don't know that they want to know. If they're not the sheep, they don't hear. And Jesus Christ seems to be in the business of taking away their ability to hear, taking away their ability to see, because they have decided they were going to seek something else. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Got that? Do you know the voice of Christ? Do you listen to him? Does he know you? Remember that scene last week? The blind man gets tossed out of the synagogue after not being blind anymore and having a bad attitude. And Jesus goes looking for him. He knows him. You have this relationship. This is not merely some platonic distance that you deal with in the heavens that somehow he kind of makes you feel like you can know him. He knows you. And they follow me. 
And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He's front-loading this stuff. There's no question. Jesus was not merely a good ethical teacher. He was a metaphysical claimant to something cosmic. And we have to decide if we're the sheep that listen to this guy. Some long dead Jewish carpenter, probably looked like Woody Allen, is now my God. Do I believe that? If I met him and I realized he wasn't the rugged hook's head of Christ or whatever you want to picture Jesus to be because it appeals to you romantically, make him a short Jew. It was not comely that we should desire him. What's your ear like? Do you only want to respond by the, you know, the, the, the what do they sell on TV? Stuff? Uh, ointments and perfumes and body deodorants and, and we have, well, what are you, what are you wanting to be like? Do you want to? Lewis wrote this great story called The Shoddy Lands, where he accidentally gets inside this shallow woman's brain and he sees the world the way she sees it. And she just wants to look like the women in all the advertisements. What is our ear listening to? What do we want to hear? What do we want things to be like? Do you want to be like this? Eternal life, never perishing, completely kept by the power of God. No one can take them out of the Father's hand. He is greater than all. That's the thing that holds you as the sheep of God. That you're not just hearing him, but he is knowing you and holding you. And his power is keeping you. I and the Father are one, in case you were wondering. And of course... Like in chapter 8, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. This is all working up. From chapter 7 forward, you're getting to, the, getting to the passion narrative at Passover. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in the next bit. They're going to want to kill both Jesus and Nazareth in the next bit. And then they kill Jesus. These are really questions of how man when he walks up to Jesus Christ, does he bow or does he pick up a rock? Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Opportunity here. Jesus, oh, oh, let me clear that up. Yeah, I am God. No. He's dealing with people who are not his sheep, who don't listen to him. Doesn't matter what he says, he just increases the confusion. He's dealing with deaf people. And he turns on some white noise to make sure 
they don't pick up what he's saying. He says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said that you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? The rest of that passage in Psalm 82 is, You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like men and fall like any prince. Now, he's basically saying he called other people the sons of God and gods. And it's really God. So some people go back to that psalm passage to say the word Elohim has to do with mighty or judges or something. Jesus is quoting the Septuagint here and he quotes it as Theos. You are gods. But he wants to, he's, not, he's saying, hold it, it's a legitimate use. See, I said I was the son of God and you had a problem with that. But in the Bible, it, it, people did that, so it just confuses me. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And it keeps coming back around. He confuses them. He makes them darker, and then he says the unthinkable that everybody in his sheep goes, yeah, that's my God. That's my Christ. That's my Messiah. He is the Son of the Blessed, like Peter's you know, uh, great confession. But people who don't want to hear that, don't want to hear you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't want you to say, he is God himself. Again, they tried to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Doing the works of the Father, taking you to the Father, making you acceptable to the Father, this is what the, the Christ is about. Consequently, when you're assessing whether or not you're the sheep of God, who listen to God, who listen to Christ, what are some of the signals that you have already noticed in yourself? It says in John 6, I think, famous passage, um, John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I don't know what your theology is, so I don't know how you're taking that, but then it describes what that means. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Who have you been listening to prior to Jesus? Were, were you already on the long search where even St. Paul, he was killing Christians, but he was looking for God? The kind of person who looks for God starts to hear and able to sort out the detritus that, that claims to be from God but isn't. Are you the person who has learned from the Father already? Heard and learned from? Those are the people that come to Christ. And that is the purpose. At the very end of this passage 
in verse 40, he, he went away again across the Jordan to a place where John at first baptized, and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. There's going to be a shape to your list of names. Who do you really like? Who do you read? Who do you want? Who do you admire in, in the things of God? Are you thrilled with the Old Testament? Not because you want to be a, some neo-legalistic piece of work, but because you're thrilled with the God you see there. A lot of people go, well, I just don't like the God of the Old Testament. You don't like the God of the Old Testament? You know what you're saying about what kind of sheep you are. When someone, John comes along as this, this, as Christ said, no man born of woman is greater than John. And these are all the people. He goes off to where the John ministry had gone on across the Jordan. He makes a point and says, where John first baptized and the people that he meets there speak of Christ in terms of John. So they're people who learned from John. We remember John. We remember what he was like. He didn't do any miracles, but I guess he prophesied because look at this guy that he spoke of. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. People who listen to the right set of names, people who have realized in themselves that they're listening to the things that are collected around the voice of God, they are the sheep. They believe. They have eternal life. They can't be taken. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful. You are good to us. Help us hear you everywhere you speak. Help us, keep us from listening to men who just want to rob us, destroy us, make use of us. Help us find your son whose life is abundant and brings us into relationship with you. Help us hear clearly. In your son's name, amen.